0: Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart
1: Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews, and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the
0: podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. My name is Daniel Santangeli, filling in for Richard Watts today. uh, He is back uh, from uh, some leave uh, next week, Uh, but for now, you've got me. And uh, before we kick off with Smart Arts today, I'd like to just acknowledge country, paying respects to elders past and present on this great Kulin nation um, and thanking them for their leadership and their guidance and their resilience, which has made Melbourne such an incredible place to live and work uh, and play. Today on Smart Arts, uh, we will be joined by Smart Arts regular, Ty Snaith, giving us her rundown on what exhibitions around town she has seen. (laughs) art, art attack. Attack. attack 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 that intro sound that heartbeat sound means that it is time for art attack which means Ty Snaith is in the studio uh, Ty uh, welcome back to Smart Arts
2: hi thanks for having me it's nice having a fresh um Fresh voice.
0: Now, you're, you're a, for those who are maybe tuning in for Smart Arts for the first time. You're an artist and writer based here in Melbourne, um, and Art Attack is, I guess, a bit of a, a moment of reprieve in Melbourne's kind of busy, fall exhibition cycle. Just to kind of stop and reflect on, well, reflect on what you've seen, actually.
2: Uh, yeah. So i I have a busy life, yes, but I do love doing this as a little bit of a way to, you know, like force myself to go out and see something that's on. Uh, there is so much stuff going on in our city, as you know, but the visual arts at the moment are particularly fruitful, <laughs> I might say. Um, last week we had the first of the Kate Dore Memorial Lectures, which um, Kate Dore was an amazing uh, visual artist from Melbourne and she was also an educator at VCA. Um, and Kate passed away sadly Uh, recently and they've created a a lecture in her um, honour I guess. Uh, So last year it was actually sort of opened by Juliana Enberg as a sort of like tribute to Kate and then this year they had the first lecture. So once a year um, they have someone come deliver a lecture and I think it's always about women artists but not always. I think maybe they're always women lecturers But perhaps I'm wrong there too. Anyway, the first inaugural lecture was by Jennifer Higgy. Jennifer Higgy is an Australian um, writer but also curator. And so Jennifer, was she used to be the editor at Freeze in London but she came from originally studied art in Canberra. She's a really, really awesome writer. Um, I'd say she's one of my favourite arts writers. She's published two books now. Um, One of them was called... The Mirror and the Palette, which is all about female self-portraiture throughout history and a lot of overlooked, you know, women. Well, there's so many of them. But Jennifer has a, a specialty in looking at the overlooked, I guess. And then her most recent book uh, is called The Other Side, which is looking at, you know, just looking at, at sort of the forgotten history of modernism as well. So a lot of that were, you know, was women that were not really written into history Um and then also the other side of art that looks at sort of more like the spiritual realm or the, the uh, you know, the, the uncanny in art and where it connects to the other side or the, the, the other realm out there, not the real life, real world. Um, and so she's actually been asked not just to do the Kate Dore lecture but also the lecture was about her show that she's just curated out at Mama. So that was a very long-winded intro. Um,
0: no, it's a, it's a good intro and um, uh, uh, I haven't been able to fix that audio problem. For yeah. your headphones, I'm sorry that's you're going okay. to you're gonna have to as bear with us. As long as you can hear it. me, I don't care. Yeah, I, we can't we can't hear you that's live good. on air, so that's that's no problem. So we can definitely hear you there. Um, yeah. So um, so uh, I mean, that was a, actually a really insightful intro into the show you're about to talk about. I actually, didn't I didn't know that background mm. about Jennifer Higgy. Uh, t- tell us about this show that she's curated.
2: So the show is called Thin Skin, and I love the title. Actually, I mean, it, it plays into her, I guess, her background of writing that book, The Other Side. Um, but also her love of painting. So it's a painting show. So if, you, if you're a lover of painting, definitely do not miss this show. It's like I'm, I'm a lover of painting, but I know there are even more lovers of painting out there, especially in this town. So go see this show. It's 36, I think, I think I'm right in saying 36 artists, but they're from all over the world. So Jennifer obviously has connections everywhere, but at Mama some of the works are from the Mama collection, but also some of them are loaned from collections all over the world. So it's really rare that we get this kind of treat to see paintings from everywhere. That's
0: um, a, a lot of artists. It's a lot yeah, of paintings. Like, it's a big I, show. I can't even imagine how you fit that many works inside the moment. Gallery. some of the them Mama are Gallery. really
2: big. Some mm. of them are huge, like almost floor to ceiling, and some of them are really small. And what I love about this show is it's very kind of egalitarian in its um, selection. So there's some really young artists. There's some works that are, you know, from the 60s and earlier. Um, and I guess the term thin skin we think, well, I immediately think about some you know vulnerability or having a thin skin where you don't have this rough exterior you have a really thin membrane to your emotions and feelings but also the thin skin between this world and the spiritual world Mm. Um, so all of the works in the show are very much um, figurative abstraction so you know what figurative abstraction is? It's got a little bit of abstract. It's got a little bit of figures, really.
0: It's it is what it says on the box. Isn't yeah, it?
2: pretty much. It pretty much is. And I would say it's my favourite sort of uh, type of painting because you get, you know, you get a few clues as to what's going on. Often there's a body, um, if not always. I don't know if technically has to have a body. No, it may be just objects, so they're not always human bodies. Could be
0: a bowl of fruit. Could be
2: exactly a little bit of a hint at the figurative or at the sort of like clues of what the painting's about. But then you often get this like melting into another realm. So whether that's of colour or it's of meaning or it's just even just planes or depth uh, depth of field, you get these works that often have a very much like a dream a dreamlike quality to them because I think in our dreams we de- we definitely dream in a sort of f- figurative abstraction because you get some memories from your day-to-day life but then they're in this realm that doesn't really make sense or that is other and that's definitely what this show is like. So each of these little paintings are almost like being, being inside a dream. Um, yeah, and so that thin skin between our- ourselves and the real world but also like what people, you know, how people see us how we see ourselves Uh, a lot of those works are very much um talking about that so uh, and about that vulnerability um and and sort of like a, a psychological air as well so one of the works that i immediately really loved in the show was by an australian artist called vivian shark lewitt um vivian shows with anna schwartz Gallery she's a very established Australian painter. Um, I was lucky enough to meet Vivian actually at the Kate door lecture, which was a real treat for me. The people that attended was definitely the who's who of Melbourne every amazing woman painter and critic. Ever.
0: So that was that was a great thing. But um, I mean kind of unthinkable when you think about maybe the Melbourne art scene 30 years ago, you know, an auditorium full of amazing female artists and arts workers. Incredible.
2: It was really cool, actually, and I think Jennifer Higgy has really done that. She's solidified this, you know, sisterhood within the art scene and also to have people from Monash and VCA. And like I really think women are in their it's the time, you know, it's definitely time. But to have all those amazing painters from different generations in the room was was really cool. There was like a very special energy there and I think Kate would have absolutely loved that, which is really make, it's making me all teary. <laughs> um, but, yes, I was going to say Vivian Shark-Lewitt's painting in The Mama Show is called A Penny for Your Thoughts and it's from 2017. And it's like this woman's head and, I guess, bust and on her head there is this bundle of like a bag of stuff and so immediately you think you read the title and you think are they her thoughts or are they the pennies you know like is there's this kind of surrealist play there between the text and the image but she looks troubled you know so you know you read it and go well she has a lot of thoughts or she has a lot of pennies you know what's troubling her but that work I found really powerful but it's also painted in this almost ethereal, brushy, wispy way, which um Vivian's work is often like that. It's almost somewhere between caricature and and painting or like illustration and painting, which I love. Uh then there's another younger artist called uh Yelena Telecki. She's also Australian. And her work in the show is called mirroring. Mirroring is a hard word to say. Mirroring.
0: I, I got stuffed up on um uh Synthesizer earlier oh, in the show, so I'm not so going to try that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, don't. <laughs> it'll, it'll it'll lead to disaster.
2: Yeah, so it's a really. It's I think it's actually my favorite work in the show. It's a, it's a long, uh, almost life size figure that is leaning into a reflection of themselves, but there is no real mirror that you can see in between. So it's almost like they're meeting a picture of themselves. It's got a real sort of Marcel Marceau quality to it. They've got a very white, washed out face. Uh, But there's this idea, I guess, psychological idea of mirroring, which if you read into it, um, can be both negative and positive. So, when you interview someone, like often the interviewer will take on some of the characteristics of the person they're interviewing, uh-huh. which can be effective. But it's also what salespeople use to like try and sell you things. Or and I know in Indigenous culture, it's a really it's like a big no no to uh-huh. to speak in a way that isn't yours. And so like there's it's a really interesting modern day um, problem mirroring, or it can be a good thing because it can be about empathy and, uh-huh. uh, but. But I guess it's also looking. This painting is also looking at accepting the self or like um, questioning the self or where the self and the other divide lies. It's a very laden painting, but at the same time, it's very stripped back and minimal. So it's a it's a beautiful work, and it really talks a lot about that relationship with the self that I'm quite interested in as well. Um, there's another painting by another local female artists surprise surprise uh Rosalind Piggott who is represented by Sutton Gallery if I'm correct in remembering and her painting is it's an older one I can't remember the year but it was I think from the well at the beginning of her practice but it's called Ten Rambos Holding One Rambo so as in what? not Rambo as in <laughs> Rimbo <laughs> the uh, Writer, and it's really weird. It is one of the weirdest, most affecting paintings I reckon I've ever seen. It's these ten figures that look the same, holding another f- figure across them across the front of them in a white suit. but they all have these long fingers, like kind of like spidery like fingers, and it's very much it made me think immediately of how you know when you read about dream analysis, um they often say. You're every character in your dreams. So, you know, it's not just you in your in your dreams when, when you feature as a character. You're also the perpetrator. You're also that, – that's what they say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had Meryl Streep in my dream last night. You so are does that Meryl, mean I'm yeah, Meryl Streep? That's Great. exactly
2: happy, right. You are Meryl Streep. Um, but, yeah, it sort of had that vibe, this painting where it's like it's him, you know, that multiplicity of being as well and – the thin skin of an artist and the the way that we are you know hypersensitive and we do split ourselves off at times and make extra beings to 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 just deal with life really a lot of the time that painting was really, really interesting. Um, what else? there were so many great works there 's also a couple of works in the show that are very much about the thin skin of paint itself so if you think mm. about it, paint on a canvas is a it 's a skin it 's like a membrane on top of another surface so there 's a great work by uh, one of my favourite Australian painters, Brent Harris, uh, and it's called The Fall. And really like actually Jennifer Higgy talked about this in her in her amazing lecture. That it's a it's a it's a sort of pinkish brownish background, but then in the foreground there's this stark white, pale pink figure that's um Brent's kind of typical they're like a little bit like a blob with a face and hands and legs, a cartoony-type figure. But evidently it it happened because he accidentally did a smear of pale pink paint by accident on the canvas. But instead of painting over that, he turned it into the focal point of the painting.
0: Oh, incredible.
2: Yeah, it's a really beautiful work and it's um, – it's very much about you know what paint does. It's almost by itself. So on the on the skin of the canvas, yes, we push it around as artists, but sometimes something happens that almost feels like out of our control. And I think Jennifer's really interested in that that otherworldliness of painting, which sometimes you can feel like a medium as an artist. And I think her writing and her her curating actually brings that out a lot. That feeling of um, otherworldliness. Um. Uh, that work was nice, and then uh, also the uh, in terms of just staying on that skin of the painting, um, Karen Black's work in the show really does draw your attention to the skin or the the paintiness of the paint. So there, are, she leaves these big blobs of oil in the in the. She doesn't smush it all out. They're actually part of the texture of the painting. Her work in the show was called "My Head Is a Mountain, My Heart Is a Sea." So when you look at this work, it actually it just looks like colours to begin with, but then you realise there is a figure, sort of almost woven into this blobby, painty canvas. But it also looks like a mountain. It also looks like the landscape, and it talks a lot about that. You know, where do we end and the landscape? Where do, and the landscape begin? You know, where where is it? How? You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about what's the extension. Is a wand just an extension of an arm, uh-huh. or you know, are we actually part of this landscape? We. We walk on, you know, we affect it. It's symbiotic in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I think the works in this show really do help you to think, yeah, a bit deeper about Our place in the world.
0: Did you grab yourself a catalogue? I heard that the catalogue is actually quite exceptional. Apparently it's like fully illustrated, has all the works in it from the exhibition. I can see you by the look of your face. You see the regret? Yeah, I can see the regret.
2: (laughs) I should have. Um, I didn't really stop for long enough to look in the shop, but I should have done that. Um, But one thing I guess to tie into what I want to talk about next is one of the works in the show is by a very – significant Australian artist called Helen Maudsley um, and it's called Arnolfini, that's a hard name, Arnolfini and his wife from 1967. And this, I guess, is the um Exception to the rule of figurative abstraction having figures in it because they're not human figures in this work they are objects and Helen Maudsley if you don't know her oh sorry my dog's licking you
0: so we do we do have a third guest <laughs> that's been very quiet in the studio what <laughs> Wally um, sorry. who well, has decided just to start licking my hand Sorry um, to break is... that
2: up um, back to Helen Maudsley though if you are listening to this and thinking oh I've never heard of Helen Maudsley that is your homework for today because she's uh-huh. one of our s- most significant living artist she's 90 years old and she has oh my god now he's jumping on you wally come over here come here um and she has an incredible body of work and practice from you know years and years and years like i would say over what over 70 years of painting and she's quite crazy
0: i I think one of the things is about helen maudsley's work is that She's incredibly unknown in the arts world, despite the fact that she has an incredible legacy and um, quite an ongoing prolific practice as well.
2: Yeah, so she had her first big retrospective at, what, 89, 90 at the NTV last year, which to me is an act absolute travesty that mm. it took that long but you know it's not uncommon Inga King didn't have her first big show until just before she died as well I mean people like Louise Bourgeois didn't have her first show until she was in her 80, 80s. God, it
0: just feels like making up for lost time it, when it, it comes to female artists. Yeah but the, the their work. beautiful
2: thing about Helen Maudsley is that it's all there that mm. she has these paintings from all this work and and not only that supporting her partner John Brack through years of his career where she selflessly supported him but Kept painting during that whole time. I
0: didn't. I didn't realize that um, Helen Maudsley's partner was John Brack. Well, that's like everyone. Good. <laughs> everyone who is you know even remotely interested in art in um, modernism knows of John Brack in, a, in a, the Australian context.
2: And she was better, if you ask me. I mean, her works are mm. so powerful. I'm a massive fan of Helen Maudsley's work. I was lucky enough to to um, make some work in response to her practice as well and I got to meet her and she's a fierce amazing amazing artist anyway so she's got to work in thin skin but also she has a solo show on at the moment as well so after I went to mama I went down to Niagara which is on Hoddle Street um opposite sort of what is that the Richmond home I don't know the home of the Tigers opposite there that's pretty much where it is on
0: Hoddle
2: Collingwood? This
0: is clearly an art show. <laughs> I think
2: it's Richmond.
0: I think Eldred it's Richmond. Rich- it is Richmond, yep. Sorry. Yes. Stay- don't tune out because we don't know about AFL. I'm so sorry. I we were- sort
2: of do. I know that's their home there anyway. <laughs> but for football people listening, that's where Niagara is on Hoddle Street. It's got the big red sign that says art does matter, which they continually paint, which I'm really happy they keep painting that sign because it does matter. In this solo um, show, which, I mean, is a feat in itself. She's 90 years old and these 17 paintings are from the last couple of years. So they're they're recent. The, The work in the Mama show is actually from 1967, so it's an older one. But she's still working in this very, very, Uh, idiosyncratic way so the 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 form or the the style that she uses she calls it her she termed this um terminology herself she calls it the grammar of visual analogy so or she works within the grammar of visual analogy so basically what that means is she has this repertoire of symbols that are objects or derived from objects from the real world Mm. that for her stand in they're almost like actors for her ideas. So it's really cool. It's almost like a code, like a visual code, and she arranges these objects that are painted in her style across the canvas and each painting is a collection of different combinations of these, these symbols. And so I've written down some of the symbols that I've noticed in her work over the years. She uses things like ladders, chains, glasses, both glasses you drink from and reading glasses, mm. Tyres, crowns, leaves, segments of fruit, um, lips, high heels, bricks, ears... That's all I could think of off the top of my head, but there's probably others that are big Helen Maudsley fans. You'd probably be like, yeah, but there's also this, clocks or something.
0: Hey, you, um, can, you can text in on 0466981027. <laughs> what did with, I forget? With what with Ty has forgotten as the uh, visual analogies used by um, Helen, Helen Maudsley there.
2: But her palette is very uh, famous. Well, like she's quite well known for her... Pa- Palette. Her colour palette is sort of like a muddy pastel palette. Like, well, maybe you would say dark pastel palette. So she works from sort of dark lilacs to grey, but then combines them with the opposites. So sort of like um, dusty oranges and yellows. Uh, But then this show is the first time. I mean, I've seen her use much brighter colours in that palette. So there's one work particularly that I loved in the show called No thine own self which also I think fits in nicely to the whole thin skin thing Mm. um and it's from 2022 so recent and it's about 60 by 40 so it's not huge her paintings aren't massive They're, they're quite intimate um and it's it's really beautiful it's a it's it's not as many objects as usual but it's this selection of kind of brick they're almost like these brick things that evolve almost into fingers they're they're definitely bricks but the extrapolations of bricks and ladders Mm. and then these little sort of almost like um, star twinkles that are interspersed that give it this gestural almost like almost like a conversation of the objects Mm -hmm. Um, but it's very personal work so it's almost like we can't work it out only Helen knows what it means but you kind of can work it out so you look at it the thing I love about these paintings is you can just stand there and stare at them, and somehow they seep into your soul and you learn something that maybe we can 't articulate in words so Helen is one of my favorite painters if you If you are an art collector listening and you don 't have one of helen maudsley 's paintings in your collection, then you are really crazy because after she 's gone, they will be really they 're really significant works so all of these works in um The Niagara show are obviously for sale. And, yeah, if you're one of those people that have enough money to to buy
0: art. Or you'd like to buy me a piece of artwork, (laughs) Ty a piece of artwork, (laughs) you know. Um, I mean, what I I love about these conversations with you, Ty, is that I feel like you you have so many different tools for looking at art, so many different ways of, like, questions to kind of ask yourself when you're looking at an artwork. And I love taking some of those questions away with me for when I go and look at exhibitions to be like, how would Ty look at this work? I kind of really love that.
2: I think the best way to look at it is just almost like a child because it's not – there's no point in trying to bring academia – well, for me anyway, that's how I like to look at an artwork is like what does this – how does this make me feel? What do I like about it? What What does it make me think? And just mm. – th- and go from there And then and then once you have the language of past things you've looked at, you can go, oh, it reminds me of this or it looks like a high heel from this and that might mean this. And – the thing about art is that it means something different to everyone that looks at it, and, and so it should, you know. And I think Helen Maudsley's work is a really good example of that. It gives you a portal into this series of symbols that you can put onto it whatever you will. It's like music. We all hear something different in a song or it reminds us of a time. Sometimes people hear lyrics completely incorrectly. <laughs>
0: I'm definitely that person. Hey, look, we're almost out of time. Yeah. What What's coming up that you're really excited about?
2: I'm always pretty excited about everything, Daniel, but... um. <laughs> At the moment, there is another show on that is beautiful that if I could talk about three shows, I would, but Annika Coops at Lawn Gallery. So Annika's also a painter. Uh, definitely check that one out. It's, it's a really gorgeous little show. Lawn Gallery in Richmond also, so you could do that after you went to Helen Maudsley. Um, tonight, opening at Jake Hoener Gallery in... Carlton, I think that is, is Rebecca Agnew. Rebecca's an animator and amazing sculptor, so she does these weird, weird, wild animations and stills from her animations. Incredible. That's opening tonight. Definitely worth seeing that. That'll be on for a few weeks. And then next week... I think next Wednesday is the preview or the opening. It is Spring 1883? So spring, oh, of course, springs come back around. Yeah, Incredible, great. And that's at the Windsor Hotel. So if you haven't been to that, that's a really fun one to visit. It's all the commercial galleries get a suite or a, a room, and they deck it out how they how they feel like they'd like to. Sometimes galleries share a room, which is nice and cute. And sometimes some Sydney galleries come down, and yeah, it's a really nice, fun way to just go in and wander around a beautiful old um, hotel and see some beautiful art at the same time that you can buy if it's you want to.
0: It's a wacky experience, you know. And <laughs> it's it, very it's, Melbourne. Because it's so it? immersive. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and the and carpet
2: in there. Just just go for the carpet. It's so cool.
0: Yeah. All right, that, um, Ty, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for um, sharing both of those exhibitions with us. So that was Helen Maudsley at Niagara Galleries in Richmond, closing 19th of August. You can head to niagaragalleries.com.au to find out more. Um, and also Thin Skin at Mama in Caulfield East, running until September the 23rd. Um, and you can head to monash.edu forward slash M U M A.
2: Sorry, you got, got licked by my
0: dog. Oh, no, that's, that's um, fine. It's, the... <laughs> it's fine. I'll just smell like dog here for the rest of the day. he's uh, a beautiful dog. Tyson A, thank you so much for joining us on Smart Arts. Thanks for having me.
3: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R,
4: exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform
0: you're listening to smart arts on triple R. Uh, my name is Daniel Santangeli, uh, filling in for Richard Watts today, uh, on, uh, this, uh, incredible program on this incredible day. Um, so, uh, I have a question for you. What is your road trip playlist like? Uh, mine is mine's all eighties music, uh, basically all the music of the decade I was born in and, uh, music. I can't really get away with playing on triple R, although I do sometimes sneak a kind of, you know, contemporized version in there. Um, yeah, what's your playlist like? Um, and what are your what are your road trip buddies like? Are they, uh, you know, a couple of queer alien Elvises? Because if they are, you've probably been road tripping with my next guest, visual artist and performer Will Huxley from The Huxleys. Um, Will is joining me in the studio in a moment uh, to talk about their new show, Disgraceland, uh, a story of two queer alien Elvises trying to make it home. That's coming up next on Smart Arts. Will Huxley is one half of iconoclastic queer camp spectacle duo the Huxleys. Uh, They're presenting a new Elvis-inspired show, Disgraceland at Abbotsford Convent and uh, Will Huxley joins me on the phone now uh, here on Smart Arts. Will, uh, welcome to the program.
5: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, Really great having you on the program. I I love the Huxleys. Um, They're uh, there but I, I, and um, the costuming is incredible. The immersiveness world that you kind of create around the, this duo, the Huxleys, it, it's a duo with yourself and uh, Garrett Huxley. But I, I suspect for some listeners, they might not have had the fortune of meeting the Huxleys before. How, how would you describe them to listeners who um, have no idea what I'm talking about?
5: We kind of describe ourselves as it's like queer wizardry to a disco beat. It's it's kind of like we're <laughs> we're gay terrorists. Um, it's it's about fantasy and escapism and, you know, both of us growing up in suburbia in Queensland and WA had to kind of dream of this other world where we did actually fit in <laughs> and, you know, looking up to, like, you know, people like David Bowie and Prince and just dreaming of a fantasy and and then we set about to create it and it's it's all about bringing magic to everyday life and just the glamorous, like, clam rock kind of, all that, like all those beautiful things as a queer, young queer boy that you you want to be and actually setting out to make it and, and finding a place for yourself. And, yeah, we combine the art forms, so visual art and, um, you know, music, performance. We love all the art forms and just try to saturate them all. It's, like, glamorous and androgynous. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and, and a lot of work.
0: So, I mean, it, it sounds like this idea of, like, of being attracted to the kind of the not boring, the the androgynous, the camp kind of kind of came from kind of your kind of a queer experience growing up um and sort of seeking seeking that out or being drawn to that but where did the Huxleys themselves come from like how on earth did that did you and Garrett kind of meet and spark that 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 seed that became the Huxleys?
5: Well we met uh we've been together almost 18 years and we met and um as lovers and we uh like instantly bonded over our first chat we talked about kate bush and the films of john waters and And uh, Grace Jones, and we were like, well, we knew it was like, it was meant to be. Uh, And we were both uh, independent artists at that point. You know, I was a filmmaker and photographer, and Garrett was doing some photography and collage. And and we just were sort of romantic partners for many years. And then we were asked to combine uh, together to make a project for the Bakehouse Music Studios um, and we made this, uh, this glam rock mural which was like seven metres long and, like, we painted our penises gold and it was really intense. <laughs> but it went really well and people like, really loved it and we got asked to bring it to life down in Dark Mofo and we just kept getting asked to do things and we found working together, we brought up, we pushed each other further, there was no one to say no and we just said, like, it was like too much is never enough and we just laughed a lot and, and Garrett, you know, you great he was great at making costumes and taught me how to do things and why we shared our skills and kind of together we were stronger and uh you know we Garrett sort of took on my surname in support of you know we're not not we don't necessarily believe in marriage ourselves but when the gay marriage uh, debate was happening we were so angry about that and so you know Garrett took on my surname and just as a sign of our love and And then people just started calling us the Huxleys. And (laughs) and then we just went went with it and said yes to everything and just kept making things and putting it out into the world and kept dreaming bigger and and better. and and Yeah, but we we sort of thought we were going to put our art out there if people wanted it or not because we loved doing it. And eventually people started to take notice. It
0: sounds like just a long journey of saying yes, you know, uh, throughout all of that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So Disgraceland is your new show at Abbotsford Convent. Um, tell us about it.
5: Well, it was we both grew up loving, like, particularly Little Richard. Uh, was. I was obsessed with it. And, and Elvis kind of borrowed everything from Little Richard. And there was another queer performer called Escarita, which was actually Little Richard's lover uh, in the 50s. And they both had this incredible effeminate, like, androgynous and just extreme performative. And Elvis borrowed a lot of that. So I love Little Richard. And then last year we were contacted by Catherine Martin, who was the the production designer and costume designer of um, Baz Luhrmann's films. And she was curating uh, an issue of Vogue Living for Vogue magazine and had to select some Australian artists that she liked to kind of reference... Elvis, in her Elvis-themed issue. And she asked us whether we wanted to respond to that. And we were like, yeah, we." I mean, I think she's incredible. And so we decided to make this series based on Elvis. And uh, Garrett's grandmother, a beautiful Yorta Yorta woman that Garrett grew up with, in, and she lived in Canambul, and she used to play him Elvis records. And my grandma, too, loved Elvis. And so we had this kind of, like, uh, just this idea of Elvis from our childhoods and seeing him being so flamboyant and sexual and particularly in the 50s it would have been quite shocking so we kind of wanted to to interpret that in our own queer cosmic um, rock kind of way and we went on this road trip around um, rural Victoria taking these photographs just the two of us and it was really hot and all our makeup and costumes that we'd made and um, flashes were blowing down the street and we were running back and forth taking these photos and had some really weird experiences with some locals. This guy in a, in a ute drove up with his dog and he, he was like at first really kind of confronted by us and our blue and green makeup and these tight sequence suits and he said, oh, do you pick up many Sheilas looking like that? <laughs> <laughs> just, that's not what we're after. But he said, he said, what kind of fella looks like this? And I said, one that's up for a good time. And in the end, he, we kind of won him over, and he was like, can I try on your wig? And he got a photo. And then another one of his mates pulled up on this road in his ute, and they were both, like, saying that they'd never seen an Elvis that looked like us. But they said that both their wives would have... Um, their <laughs> ..was their... their my well, number one fantasy was Elvis. Uh, so one of the masters ran for a drink afterwards. <laughs> so it was a really kind of, we like going to regional areas and taking this weird vision there. And, and it, kind of, it's, it kind of excites and shocks people in equal measure. So we took all these photographs and made these costumes and the photographs appeared in the, the Vogue um, magazine. And we hadn't, haven't actually been able to exhibit them properly yet. So The convent was kind enough to allow us to have this exhibition and showcase the costumes, the capes and all the photographs that we've made and we did a cover of Blue Moon and, yeah, it's very... It's a lot of fun, and
0: and tell tell me a little bit more about that because when you say costumes, if I hadn't if I hadn't seen the Huxleys before, I kind of would just imagine these kind of fairly two D looking kind of costumes. Like, but they are like they're totally transformative. Like, they you actually do become entirely other beings in those costumes. What, 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 where, what's the process of creating those? Where, where? And what goes into actually, like, manufacturing those costumes? Because they they're, they're, they're massive beasts in themselves.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, the idea is for us a lot of the time is to take away, to it, it create, a, um, it's almost like a, a armour for us. Like, we wouldn't be able to get up and perform as Will and Garrett. We, we make these costumes, so it gives us confidence. And it, it sort of, it almost makes us anonymous in a way, because uh, a lot of them take away our, our faces or our body shapes and types just because it gives you this freedom. It takes away gender, and it's um, it's really transformative, and we like to, like, confuse people. And, and so we, we, we draw everything out, and, and we design together, and then we start making things and there's so much trial and error because neither of us are trained in making costumes uh but we just um try new things and a lot of times they don't work and sometimes when they fail it's kind of spectacular and you make you end up looking like a giant peach or it's just we we play around in the studio and we spend hours making things and um, we, we use like recycled fabrics and look for like Materials that you that in hop shops, or things that you, yeah, or like old um, stock that hasn't, old sequin fabric from the 70s, or uh, and a lot of, yeah. We just we yeah. make things together, and you know, if we if we were paid for all the amount of time we spend making things, we'd be rich, but we don't. We just do it because we love it, and the costumes enable us to perform and give us the confidence to take these photos and do these performances.
0: Uh, if you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to Smart Arts on Triple R, and I'm talking with Will Huxley um, from the Huxleys uh, about their new show, uh, Disgrace Land, at Abbotsford Convent. Um, you've talked a little bit about the um, the you know going out into um, regional and rural uh, Victoria um, in the in these kind of queer alien um, co- uh, costumes um, yeah. and the the photographs that were taken and you'll be exhibiting those at Abbotsford convent. Um, And, but there's all, that's not all that's happening at Abbotsford convent. I I believe there's also a a kind of performance and a a dance party as well. Um, Tell us about that.
5: Yeah. So whenever we, we start, you know, with our visual art, with our photographic or video work, we love to bring it to life in a performance. So we're having this performance night uh, on the 12th of August and we've invited some of our favorite queer performers across Nam. So uh, incredible people like Benjamin Hancock and uh, Too Juicy and Dee Flowers um, and Scotty So. And it's going to be that we've asked them to sort of interpret that rock and roll era but make it as queer and as wild as possible at being disgraceful, like Disgrace Land. Um, And, you know, this year we lost Tina Turner, who was huge, just someone we love so much. So we're also paying tribute to Tina and Little Richard and, and all the kind of people that actually inspired Elvis so it's it's going to be um there's going to be uh, like um dancergonies and and we've got a tansa who's DJing it's going to be a really fun party and there'll be you know there's a dance floor and you will also be able to see the costumes and the photographic work as well but it's just a really joyful celebration and and rock and roll often has a history of it being it can be a bit, little bit like male orientated straight you know rock and roll so we're kind of like taking it and twisting it and making it as uh, as femme and as queer and and extreme as possible.
0: And, um, and, and I mean, why is that? Why is that important to you right now? I mean, what, what from your point of view, like, why do the Huxleys need to exist right now in 2023 um, in uh, Melbourne?
5: Well, we always remember that things can go backwards, and you know, we're very fortunate in Australia with our rights as queer people. But it's not the same all over the world and we we feel that really strongly and both of us grew up in a time when being queer wasn't even talked about and we were bullied like every day at school called a poof or you know just that 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 world that we're in now was not available to us when we were growing up and we'll never forget that and at the moment you know there is right wing voices saying that drag is dangerous or you know and it's such a beautiful art form like this gender nonconformity conformity and, and celebrating freedom and and our queer love is so important because it's a voice to young people that there is this. It is okay. There are people like you, and we're fantastic, and we're having a great life. And I just, we we will never stop celebrating that because you don't know how things can change. You know, in places like Russia, and there are there are places where uh, rights can be taken away. And uh, you know, when and but everything we do is a sense of joy and fun. But there there is a message behind it of. It, of uh, acceptance and celebrating difference and marvelling at difference because that's what makes the world special
0: um well we're we're almost out of time um so disgraceland is at abbotsford convent um it is there's an exhibition running from the 9th to the 20th of august the performance the dance party night is on the 12th of august but this very quickly there's also um workshops and artist talks as well can you tell us quickly about those
5: Yeah, we're doing a bedazzling, um, we've printed images of our Elvis photos on um, tea towels on linen, and people can come along and do a workshop with us where you can hand sew or glue or whatever, however you like, embellish your tea towel, (laughs) and, um, yeah, we'll tell stories of the photographs, and we're doing an artist talk as well. Uh, But, yeah, I I think the party will be the the most fun and the most wild, so you can, yeah, and that's on the 12th. So come down and and check it out. (laughs)
0: Uh, Will Huxley, one half of the Huxleys. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Smart Ups and Triple R.
5: Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day.
0: Uh, that was Will Huxley from The Huxleys um, about talking about their new show, Disgraceland, Abbotsford Convent. It's an exhibition uh, as well as a performance night. Um, the performance night is on the 12th of August and the exhibition runs from the 9th to the 20th of August. Uh, you can find out more at abbotsfordconvent.com.au. Uh, you're, listening to, uh, you're listening to Smart Arts here on Triple R. You're listening to Smart Arts here on Triple R. Uh, and uh that was a uh a really great track there um that I have loved listening to over the last little short while um and uh uh that was a track called um lingering by Allegra krieger um uh, that was the track before that and then after that we were um listening to uh, At the Counter by Bass Jan, um, it's some electric pop art there for us, um, and it's their latest single from Bass Jan there as well. Um, up next, we're going to play a track called uh, Skeleton, um, called, uh, by Skeleton, called Sharing the Fire, um, and a really great track that I'm going to uh, hit play on for you any second now. Um, we just had a bit of a... Um, tricky moment trying to get the next interviewee on the phone, uh, thus, the um, not having the perfect track lined up for you right in the next second. Uh, here is Skeleton Sharing the Fire. You're listening to uh, Smart Arts here on Triple R. Uh, my name is Daniel Santangeli, filling in for Richard Watts here, um, and this is the next track before our next interview.
6: Show.
7: I was so afraid that growing taller necessitated. so small with so much on my chest after it was all gone you pressed your ear to my heart and heard this song
0: you're sitting to smart arts on triple r uh, there was a couple of great tracks there one uh from gabrielle's uh the offering it's a, a debut studio album uh by uh the compton californian soul trio gabrielle's uh it actually sounds like something that was written you know 50 years ago but it's um totally contemporary just recently out i'm actually obsessed with that with their album so please check out um gabrielle's new album um, and uh, just then we were listening to Bell's Larson uh, with Ten Hands um, uh uh, Bells Larson's um, songs uh, really draw on their experiences of being a trans, queer person. Um, and that's their um, – uh, them uh, the, the way that they've talked about um, that album is them kind of uh, working out how to sing with their newly baritone voice, really front and centre, um, often accompanied only by a guitar. Beautiful music. But, you know, I love, you know, um, sad men singing about things. So um, it's right up my alley, that music. Uh, often the most powerful stories are those told by and with community uh, in their own voice. Um, H, a love story, is one such work that conveys the voice of people with lived experience of homelessness. Uh, coming up in a second here in the Triple R studio, I'll be speaking with writer and photographer Ali Mc, uh, as well as um, lived-experienced uh, educator with a big issue, uh, Cheryl Shulks, uh, about this work. That's coming up next here on Triple R.
8: Triple R. Photography Studies College in South Melbourne is the home of photography education and are all about taking passion for photography and photo imaging to the next level. Delivering a range of innovative photography and digital imaging courses and workshops, PSC is recognised as Australia's most awarded photography college. Begin a creative journey at Open Day on Sunday, August 13 from 10am till 2pm. Find out more at psc.edu.au. Photography Studies College, Triple R sponsors. The Memory Palace, Cyrus Tang, is a major exhibition at Town Hall Gallery. Featuring highlights from Cyrus Tang's multidisciplinary art practice across sculpture, photography, video and installation, the exhibition's hauntingly beautiful works examine sentiments of nostalgia within memory and fantasy. The Memory Palace, Cyrus Tang. On now until Saturday, October 21. With a special opening event and tour on August 5 from 1 pm. At Town Hall Gallery, 360 Burwood Road, Hawthorne. For more info, search Burundara Arts, Triple R sponsors.
0: Uh, in Australia, there are over 122,000 people experiencing homelessness on any given night. And next week is National Homelessness Week. It's a, it's a week where homelessness services and uh, community groups educate the community and advocate for change. H, a love story, is a video installation and photographic audio book by Ali Mc, featured as part of National Homelessness Week at Richmond Library. Uh, it captures the story of Troy and Cheryl Schulz, who have been married for more than twenty-five years and uh, spent ten of those years living on the streets of Melbourne. Ali Mc and Cheryl Schulz join me in the studio here on Triple R. Um, Ali and Cheryl, welcome. Good day. How are you? Um, uh, just a quick warning, I, this interview is probably likely to discuss issues around homelessness. Um, we may touch on drug addiction and, and we'll also use the name of an elder, uh, Indigenous elder, who has passed recently. Um, the, the Cheryl, I was kind of keen to start with you. The, the theme of Homelessness Week uh, 2023 is it's time to end homelessness. Um, what does that theme mean to you?
3: I think that people need to be, be more aware um, and realise that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people are homeless. Um, just because there's, you know, a roof over your head doesn't mean that that you've got a home. Mm. Um, we just need to get more housing for people. Um, it needs to end. We need to start building, like, as soon as we can and, and offer more support. Um, to me, it's not just giving you a key and saying, you know, here's your, here's your house um, you've got to have that support as well once you're housed
0: uh, it's, a, it's such a much more complex issue than people um, uh, kind of I guess people realize on the surface they think it is is as simple as you know here's here's a house here's a key we just need to build some more um, I mean for you you've spent um, you know t- uh, ten years living on Melbourne Street with with your partner Troy yes um, uh, can you give us uh, I guess an insight into uh, what motivated you to tell your story um, with uh, through this project, H, A Love Story? Why, why did you feel the need to kind of share your story?
3: I think, again, it's more about awareness. People need to know that not everyone, you know, um, is just expecting the world to support them. Um, Troy and I still worked, even though we were homeless um, and we had our addiction. But it's, you know, people have got to be aware that each person's reason for being homeless has a different story behind it. Um, I think when I met Ali um, five years ago, I think we spent like 45 minutes talking um, about homelessness and and people need to be aware um, of how it affects you you know not just um, physically, mentally as well. Um, I, I know a few people you who know, were homeless for such a long time that when they were actually housed, they couldn't cope with it. They used to just leave their, their clothing and, and um, belongings in the house and still sleep in a park mm-hmm. because, you know, as you said, it's not just here's your key, you know, there's your house. Um, you've got to have that support and I think once people are housed, they've got to have support for at least 12, 12 months, two years... You know, they need to be shown how to pay rent, shown how to pay bills, um, how to cook, how to do shopping, how to do banking, um, because that's a lot of things you don't do when you're homeless, mm. you know. Um, you can't go and plug your, you know, electric fry pan into the closest tree to cook a meal, you know. You you have to survive on, you know, sandwiches or or, you know... Pies, sausage rolls, or things like that. So you know, these are things that homeless people have got to learn to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it just needs—they need support.
0: Uh, and uh, I mean, Cheryl, you've been working with um, uh, both yourself and your partner Troy. Have been working with Ali MC, who's also in the studio with us for for five years on this yep. project, H A Love Story. Um, I mean, Ali, I, I might throw to you. Can you tell us about? This work, uh, H, a love story, and this this book that I'm holding in my hands right now.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So, H, a love story. I met Cheryl super randomly outside Melbourne Central Station more than five years ago, uh, and Cheryl was ser- selling the big issue, and she had her three cats. Uh, sitting in a pram and so I actually stopped just to pat the cats because I thought it was kind of cool and we just got chatting and um, so I'm, I, I do journalism freelance photography writing uh, and I also teach uh, law and criminology uh, at a university and so I'm deeply interested in these social issues for want of a better term uh, or deeply personal issues really for a lot of people uh, and so we just really just got talking and we, we struck up a bit of a friendship and I did some a series of articles for Out to Zero on the nature of homelessness and then it really morphed into this. It was really um, as a photographer and writer, how can we engage in these stories but with the people who have lived these stories? And so, um, it's a photographic audio book, meaning that it's a it's a photography book, uh, but you can also um, use a QR code in the in the front of the book and actually listen to Troy and Cheryl's own voices telling the story along with some music. So it's a bit of an immersive book, and then we've turned it into a. An AV installation as well, and that idea actually came from Troy, um, <laughs> Cheryl's partner, who we refer to as the project manager of the uh, of the whole whole um, whole uh, project, um, because he has some really great ideas and, and and very thoughtful about how we could do this. And we we we, uh, we experimented with different forms of writing, and you know, I would go and take photos, and we took portraits and this kind of thing. And then one day, Troy just simply said, you've, you've got to have our actual voices in this, mm-hmm. like the actual audio voices." And so um it, was, it really came from there so um yes yeah, so that's a bit of a wrap up of of h love story
0: and uh i mean uh it, i mean it can be quite confronting sharing your own story uh i mean uh Cheryl, what was that like for you kind of you know actually you know getting to know ali building trust and and going okay actually i'm going to I'm going to share my story, and I, and I also know that you're also a lived experience educator with a big issue. So, you know, you're you're often in that space of kind of you know, I guess, being vulnerable and having to go like, "Hey, this is this is my experience, and I want to share it with other people." But, you know, what what was that like going through that process with Ali, this random guy who started patting your your cat to the pram? You know,
3: um, our first few conversations were kind of, I was kind of a little bit. Um not so straightforward with him. Mm. Um, I think closer to the end of it, uh, actually, even when the book was actually finished, I said a few things that we kind of thought, oh, wow, you know, we should have put that in the book. Mm. Um, But it was really easy to open up to to Ali because he's a very easy person to talk to. Um, and I've been a guest speaker with the Big Issue for like 13 years, so um, I'm pretty used to telling my story. But a lot of things that are in the book, I don't discuss when I'm talking at work. Um, but it's I think it's just so much easier to talk to Ally and open up about everything um, about my life, things that you know I'd even forgotten about. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just really easy going.
0: Uh, and is there any particular stories in, in the book that, um, that are ones that you're really um, excited or really passionate about kind of sharing with with readers?
3: I think it goes back to a gang about awareness. Mm. You know, people um, think that, you know, homeless people are just dirty and just live on the streets and beg for money um, and you see them all the time with their belongings Um, it's not as easy as that. When you're homeless, you've got to look for somewhere that's safe to sleep, Um, somewhere that's going to be dry, you know. I mean, we were lucky enough that we slept actually in the stairwell in between the art centre and the art gallery Um, and we got friendly with the guards. So, you know, they showed us another place to stay where, you know, no-one actually knew that we were there. Incredible. Um, So, you know, it's, it's... More about kind of letting people know that, you know, it's not all about the people you see on the streets. Mm. You know, um, so many homeless people get bashed or murdered or robbed or, you know, um, the general public just treat them like rubbish, which I think is really unfair simply because they don't know their story. Mm. And I think this is what the general public needs to know. They need to know that each person has their own story of why they're homeless. Um, instead of walking past and ignoring them, actually acknowledge them and talk to them.
0: Uh, and this... Uh, in the uh, the audio version of the book, um, the audiovisual version of the book, there's um, also... Um uh, also features the voice of the late Uncle Jack Charles as well. Um, uh, Ali, talk to us about why Uncle Jack Charles um, made his... Well, ..why and how he made his way uh, into this book.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, much respect to the legendary Uncle Jack. And so, he, yeah, he does an introduction in both the book and the in the AV version of this project. And so I'd actually worked with Uncle Jack in various capacities for, for many years um, legally and as an advocate and as a friend uh, and I'd taken his photograph a number of times and so on. And so, yeah, when I was... I mean, years ago when we started working on this project, i just kind of chatted to him about it and um, we met a few times to discuss ways in which we could do this sensitively, given his own experiences of heroin use and homelessness and um, so on. Uh, and so he was a really kind of a guiding presence uh, for me personally and for Cheryl and Troy as well in putting, putting this whole project together. Um, and it's it's really actually quite saddening that he's still not around to see the see the results of his um, his massive contribution to this project.
0: Uh, and you were saying off air that you still owe him a, um, a, a, a something for the for him doing the intro as well. don't <laughs>
1: yeah, you? yeah, yeah, because he being Uncle Jack, he didn't want any payment or anything, and so um, he just said, "I'll oh, just give us a." Packet of champion ruby, and so I didn't get the chance to drop that off to him until and I sadly passed away. So if he's up there, we're still thinking about Uncle Jack.
0: And I'm sure this um, this book as well is, um, is as much a gift, um, maybe not to Uncle Jack, but I guess in his spirit. You know, it's a real gift to the world in terms of bringing raising awareness around um, homelessness and the and the, the lived reality of that experience. Um, uh, Ali, I know you were inspired by um, Sin City, uh, which is quite a strange quite strange to me. That um, uh, it's quite a strange aesthetic when I kind of think about it. But when I look at the book, it actually makes so much sense. Right. But, why, can you give us an insight, why Sin City for this uh, as an aesthetic?
1: Yeah, um, so I love graphic novels and also uh, really like um, the aesthetic of Sin City with that really distinct black and white um, kind of oeuvre that runs through uh, the work of Frank Miller in that series. And again, it was one of those things that we we worked together quite a lot over the the reason why it took more than five years to do this is because I kept doing like different interpretations of the book and going back to Cheryl and Troy and saying hey what about this as an idea or how about we do this or what what do we think about this type of photography aesthetic Uh, and so we ended up landing on um, this very high contrast black and white um, photography and so how I would do that was Cheryl and Troy would tell me about places that they would you know, sleep or score drugs or go and shoot up and I would then go and visit those places and take kind of more abstract, mood-based, black-and-white photographs all on analogue film. Um, for any analogue nerds out there, I was using Delta 100 push to 400, which provides a really high contrast uh, and high grain. Cheryl and, and so, both
0: like, what? what yeah, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Independent Melbourne Radio 3 R.
0: Uh, Shortlisted for the 2022 Rodney Seaborn Playwrights Award, *The Fence* opens at Northcote Town Hall Art Centre on the 9th of August. Uh, And joining me in the Triple R Studio on Smart Arts to talk about it is playwright Fleur Murphy. Um we did discuss some domestic violence in um in the interview um if it has raised issues for you you can call lifeline on 13 11 14 and also uh 1 800 respect uh which is 1800 737 732 Flo welcome to Smart Arts.
4: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Uh so uh the fence. tell us tell us about this work. It's been in development for 3 years you were saying.
4: Yeah, about 3 years. So um yeah, The the Fence is uh, a one-woman show that um, tells the story through the eyes of a woman and um, one day the boundary fence between her house and her neighbor's house uh, is pulled down because the neighbour wants to start redevelopment um, and this kind of uh, reveals, um, I guess, you know, some unsettling secrets. Um, and then woman is then compelled to kind of navigate this line between observation and uh, intervention.
0: Uh, and uh, what inspired this work? I mean, was it a, a difficult relationship that you had with a neighbour or, yeah, where where did it come from? Um,
4: yeah, so I live in the outer northern suburbs of Melbourne um, and that area is... Uh, I guess, was originally established kind of in the 50s and 60s. So if you think, you know, those really beautiful kind of like retro houses and on big
0: blocks. There's California bungalows everywhere. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. Um, And, you know, orange brick uh, kind of houses and, um, you know, those lions out in the front front um, gates and beautiful lawns and rose bushes Um, and so yeah it was undergoing quite a lot of development and so this is um, something that actually happened to my husband and I the house we were living in. Uh, Then we had new neighbours move in and they decided to uh, build some townhouses behind the old house Um, and to get all the equipment through they had to knock the fence down Um, and so yeah just um, then having to kind of, I guess, navigate that space, like both of us were kind of experiencing that, uh, you know, our privacy had kind of disappeared on some level, um, you know, we would see each other a lot more, hear things. Um, and yeah, just kind of navigating that space was really quite tricky at that time.
0: Uh, and um did uh I mean did that relationship go uh go a bit south as a result of that, or um uh, was that just the kind of beginning point for then uh, imagining into what the, the story of the fence the play that you've written would be
4: yeah um it it did a little bit, and um there were things that we, we my my husband and i um did kind of uh witness that we had kind of questioned like you know wh- what is that sound what what is happening over there, and then kind of, I guess, being in the position of kind of going, is that something that we should be either trying to, you know, connect with them about and seeing if they're okay in some way or should we actually involve the police? Um, And that's, I think, when I've spoken to people about this work, that's something that so many people have kind of uh, said that, you know, they've been in those situations as well and it's such a hard kind of, thing to navigate like when do you when do you do something how do you do something is it the right thing to do is it not what are the repercussions of making those choices because um, i guess in situations of um you know family violence um that can potentially exacerbate the situation for the person that might be experiencing that um so yeah it's a it's a really tricky Place.
0: And and this is the kind of I guess the moral or ethical quandary that the um, the the main protagonist in in the fence finds themselves. Can you give us a little bit more of an insight into um, it, into what happens in, in the play um, in, in terms of the storyline for for this character?
4: Yeah, so, um, you know, she's a a 30-something kind of wife and mum. She works at the Woolies. She's got a little kid. She's got a husband. So, you know, her life is, uh, I guess, very much contained within her house and within her suburb. suburb. Um, And so the play kind of, um, I guess, spans about eight months. And over this time, it's that kind of uh, slow potential realisation that something a little darker is actually happening next door Um, and it's I guess being a a one-woman show you have this kind of beautiful license to really uh, dig deep into the psyche of a character and you kind of learn their you know their inner thoughts and secrets in a situation so um, we really get to know this character like over this period and um, and what that kind of I guess tension is between her and um, you know wanting to kind of do something to help
0: uh, I mean you just mentioned the experience like uh, writing uh a one woman show and um, was that new for you as a as a playwright kind of you know writing uh, just one person on stage <laughs> you know what was that like for you
4: yeah it's I guess the first kind of full length like exclusively one woman um show I've written uh, a show previously that was made up of four monologues and so they all kind of intertwined so you 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 know could flip in and out of um each character but this is um they were your
0: half marathons before the full marathon
4: yeah Yeah. and it is like it is you know it's a wonderful marathon though and I, I really enjoy this form um and I think for for an actor as well um there's um there's a gymnastics and a muscularity to kind of getting on stage and holding an audience for that period of time and you know, drawing them in with you and then taking you on that journey um, that I really enjoy just kind of watching myself. And so uh, that was kind of, I guess, the challenge for me in this piece was to actually see if I could do it as a writer.
0: (laughs) And and what did you learn about your your writing practice? I mean, obviously... It worked because you know you've um, we shortlisted for the um, the Rodney Seaborn Playwrights Award uh, last year for the fence, but you know in in writing this one woman show and kind of pushing yourself in that way, well, yeah. What did you learn about your own your own practice?
4: Um, I I think I really love stories that um, it kind ca- kind of can take you from uh, like humour to pathos, and like quite kind of like quickly. Um, even though it is a very like serious um issue and subject that we're kind of tackling um it's done with so much heart and so much humor and so much kind of realness that um yeah i think i'm in, it's probably more something that i'm learning about my style
0: mm.
4: um yeah
0: uh, if you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to Smart Arts on Triple R. And uh, joining me in the studio is Fleur Murphy, who is the playwright behind The Fence, uh, which is perform- being performed uh, very soon on the 9th of August at Northcote Town Hall Arts Centre. Um, uh, the fence is a solo work performed by Louisa Mignone, um, who's been Wentworth, Anna Kay, the Twelve. Uh, uh, what's um, and you just saying you've just come from the rehearsal room just yes. then on, your, on to come to the studio today? What are you? What's that experience of watching Louisa on stage performing your words like? How's how's that? How's the rehearsal room going?
4: Um, it's going so well. It's It's been a real joy working with Louisa. She's been involved um, quite early on in the piece. So it's been a real collaborative approach between myself, the director, Alice Darling, and uh, Louisa. So we've really been working together for quite a long time. Um just you know working out what this piece is and who this woman is and this character is um I think a lot of people who might know of Lou and her work you know particularly in the 12 and in Wentworth they you know she's played characters that have quite a, a thick skin and are a bit kind of um you know rough and ready and so it's it's really great to see her play um I guess a role that is you know potentially a little bit softer um But within that, though, she doesn't just play woman. She also, um, you know, has to kind of, in a way, play all the people that inhabit this world. So, you know, she plays her three-year-old daughter, her husband, her uh, Italian mum, who's a little bit overbearing. (laughs) Um, You know, she plays the neighbours. She plays the local real estate agent who is... That's a hilarious performance that people should just come and see anyway, just for that. Um, Yeah, she's just got this amazing ability to to share this whole world with us kind of channelled through her.
0: Uh, and you mentioned before Alice Darling is the director of um, of The Fence. Um, tell us about the, the world that um, Alice is kind of creating um, uh, around your words on stage.
4: Yeah, so it's been great working with Alice for so long. She came on very, very early in the piece when I was, you know, had literally just written I think about five pages of, rambling dialogue and um so that it's been a really lovely creative relationship and um she's just got a wonderful vision and that's also been brought to life by our um our design team too so um I think you know we're really trying to lean into that that suburban kind of feel that everybody kind of knows and loves particularly if if you live in those outer suburbs of Melbourne um it's, you know, instantly recognisable. As soon as you walk into the space, you'll, you'll get the sense of, you know, you're, you're in a suburban home. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's looking and sounding and all feeling, yeah, pretty wonderful at the moment.
0: Uh, and, I mean, really this work is um, about, you know, about victim survivors and about our, and people's relationship with them. Um, why is this story so important for you to, for you to tell right, right now?
4: Um, I think it's important actually for us to tell a lot of different stories that address um, this issue. And there, there are a lot of stories that are, are coming out and through lots of different mediums. So, you know, there are TV shows um, like Safe Home. There's, um, you know, fantastic books and resources like um, Jess Hill's amazing book that is, um, was also uh, a documentary series called See What You Made Me Do. Um like Susie Miller's work Prima facie, which is now an international success is coming out uh, like all around the world so there are so many different stories that are addressing this issue which I think is making it so much more accessible for so many people just to kind of start to pay attention to it um, but it also makes our voices louder in terms of you know trying to create some kind of change trying to trying to make things better in the world
0: um that's that's all we've got time for today um so let's talk about how people can find out about um the fence at Northgate Town Hall um where can people find out more about it
4: yeah so if you go to the Darabin Arts website uh there's information there on the show and you can book tickets there as well
0: um, so it's The Fence, opens at Northcote Town Hall Art Centre, runs from the 9th to 20th of August. It's by Fleur Murphy who is joining me in the studio to talk about the work. Fleur, so great to have you here on Triple R.
4: Thanks for having
9: me.
0: Um, we did discuss some uh, – we were, we were discussing domestic violence in, um, in that uh, interview. Um, if that has raised issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and also uh, 1-800-RESPECT, uh, which is one 737 732